Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs 23 and verse 23. So you'll all be able to remember exactly where we preached from today. I had one person ask me, where's the text going to be today? And I said, Proverbs 23, 23. And they told me later, they said, I thought you said Psalm 23, 23. And I looked in Psalm 23 and I knew it couldn't be Psalm 23, 23. But it is Proverbs 23, 23. And I want you to ponder these words with me. God's holy word here in the book of Proverbs, this section of the scriptures called the wisdom literature, right in the middle of our Bible, right in the heart of scripture, there's wisdom. Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon, these poetic songs Uh, precepts that teach us what real wisdom is. We have one here that I want to read now as you follow along. And, oh, Lord, help us, we pray. Amen. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Let's read it again. Buy the truth. And sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. So I want to put these seven words before you today. First part of verse 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Seven monosyllable words. Very simple to understand but profound and deep as we think about this. And I've got uh, three or four points to give you, so we may can get them all done today if you'll listen real fast. So, number one, there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as truth, which means by definition, there are things that are false. There is something called truth, and it is spoken here in commercial terms, like one that is looking for something. He's on a mission to buy something, and this writer says, let me tell you what you should buy, what is more valuable than anything else you can find. Get the truth. Whatever it may cost you, whatever the terms are for you to acquire it, spend all your resources and spend all your energy and get the truth. Buy the truth. And sell it not. Once you get it, don't ever let go of it. So there's both the positive and the negative. There's the positive command, buy the truth. And there's the negative prohibition, do not sell the truth. Buy it and never sell it. Get a hold of it and never let go of it. Acquire it and so value it that you never lose your grip on it. So what is the scripture saying here? There is such a thing as truth. Well, who determines what the truth is about any given subject? Uh, As Christians, we have a very strong conviction about that, don't we? We know that the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Godhead, 
The three persons of the true and living God, one eternal God, eternally existing in three co-equal persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father is called the God of truth, Psalm 31, 5, for instance. There are many verses, but I'll give you that one, Psalm 31, 5. The psalmist says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Does that sound familiar to you? Those were one of the seven sayings of our Lord Jesus as he hangs on the cross. He says at the very end of that time of suffering, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalm 31, 5 he's quoting. But he did not quote the latter part of that verse. The latter part of Psalm 31, 5 says, I'll quote it all now. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, for thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. You can see now why Jesus didn't quote that latter part of that verse, can't you? The psalmist, when he wrote it down, he knew what it was to be redeemed by a God of truth. But when Jesus quotes it, he stops right in the middle because he was not redeemed. He was the redeemer. So he need not repeat that latter part by saying, you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. But I'm I'm laboring this point. God, the Father, is the God of truth. He's called that in Psalm 31.5. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Well, God the Son, the Lord Jesus, says of himself in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So there's the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, saying of himself, I am the truth. So the Father is the God of truth. The Son is the truth. John 16, verse 13. John 16, verse 13. Jesus teaching his disciples in the upper room. He says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Howbeit when he... Not it, but he, the spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth. So there is the Lord Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and he calls him the spirit of truth. So there is such a thing as truth. And truth is what the triune God teaches us in his word. That's the truth. And let me go to that one now. John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. And I've often thought, why does it say it that way? That's what Jesus said. That's what the, the Greek text reads and the English translates it perfectly. He doesn't say thy word is true in John 17, 17, although that's an accurate statement and it does say that In other places, your word is true. But in John 17, 17, it says, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. And here's why it says that. It uses a noun and not an adjective. It doesn't say your word is true. It uses the word, the noun, your word is truth. Because it is teaching us that. There is not a higher standard up here somewhere that the Word of God conforms itself to, and therefore the Word is true because it conforms to some other standard up here. The Word of God is itself the standard. It is the truth. It is the way by 
by which everything else is measured. The Word is the standard. So if He had said your Word is true, it would, be, it would lead us to think. It's true because it's something, there's something above it that it conforms to, and therefore it's true. That's not what He says. Are you, are you following me? It is truth. It is the standard. It is the highest thing. It accurately reflects the nature and character of God. And it is the way by which we measure and evaluate everything else. We measure it by the Word of God. Thy Word is truth. So you put all that together. Psalm 31.5, John 14.6, John 16.13, and John 17.17. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God, tells us through His Word what the truth is. There is such a thing as truth, beloved. Now, if you go on the college campus and you can talk to the youngsters, sometimes maybe not so young, they're taking philosophy classes and they're reading uh, all sorts of uh, authors required to read this author and that author. They're maybe studying comparative religion classes. And they're taught things like there is no absolute truth. Truth is relative to you. It's your time and your place. There's no absolute truth. And you may even hear folks make that statement. There's no absolute truth. But when you hear somebody say that, they just made an absolute statement. They said there's no absolute truth. And you can ask them when they say that. Uh, can I ask you a question? Are you either a hypocrite or a liar? Which is it? Because if there's no absolute truth, you just made an absolute truth, so you just lied. Or you know there's absolute truth, but you claim there's not, so you're a hypocrite. So you pick. Hypocrite or liar? I'll let you pick. Don't, don't really say that to anybody. I'm, I'm just making a point. Oh, I know some of you really want to say that, but that's probably not the best thing to say. But logically, it is consistent if someone says there's no absolute truth, ask them, so is the statement you just made not true because what you said is an absolute truth? There's no absolute truth. It is a self-refuting statement to say there's no absolute truth. Of course there's absolute truth. If you're on an airplane, you want that pilot to believe in absolute truth. You don't want him to hit near the runway. You want him to hit right down the middle of that runway in ample time to stop. If you go to the doctor, you want that surgeon to believe in absolute truth. You want him to think, you don't want him to be with a scalpel over your sleeping body thinking, well, I guess this is close enough. Let's open him up and see what we can learn here, you know. Let's take out, see, we take out a gallbladder or a lung. Well, it don't matter. It's, just, it's all close enough, right? No, we want him to believe in absolute truth. If you go to the bank and you write a check, you want to cash a check for $100, you want that teller to believe in absolute truth. You don't want them to give you back $70. You want them to look at it again and get it accurate and right, to believe in Absolute truth. There is such a thing as truth. It is determined by the triune God through His Word. That's how we know the truth about things. It's not because we're brilliant and we figured it out, beloved, is it? It's not because we're above other men, we're smarter than them. 
It is because we have bowed down and opened our heart to be taught by the triune God about what He says about all things. This universe, it is the divine work of an omnipotent creator. It's not the result of random processes with no mastermind behind it. We didn't come from monkeys. We're the special creation of a, of a triune God who made us in His image and made us capable of relationship with Him and with others, made in His image, just as the triune God has always been in relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity. In His image, we are made for loving relationship. That's part of what it means to be made in His image. God tells us the truth in His Word. There is such a thing as truth. Well, who determines it? Do we take a survey? Survey says. Do we survey the crowd and we say, what is the truth? Let's figure out the, the majority opinion. What is the majority opinion about something? And we'll call that the truth. No. The majority doesn't determine the truth. In fact, almost always the majority is usually wrong about a lot of things. And when it comes to theological things, every man is wrong until God teaches him. There is such a thing as truth. The culture doesn't define the truth. Academia doesn't define the truth. Politicians don't define the truth or philosophers or sociologists. Truth is what the triune God says in His holy word about everything. What is marriage? Oh, well, marriage is different today. This is a different day we're in. So marriage is different than it used to be. No, it's not. The creator of marriage, the triune God, says marriage is this. And you can read Genesis 2 for the blueprint and the definition and God hasn't changed his mind. What is the truth about gender? Well, read in Genesis 1. God made male and female. Made them in his image. What, what is the truth about... You fill in the blank. Read, read, the, read your Bible and you will find out the truth. What is the truth about... Sin. Well, sin is a joke to our culture. Sin is a topic for the comedians on the late night shows. We mock everything. We make fun of everything. But God is a holy and just God who will judge all sin. And for those that know Jesus, he has judged our sin on his son at the cross. And for those that don't know Jesus, they will stand before him in judgment one day to have all their sins judged by a holy God. This is why we must tell them of Christ, for no man can stand that latter judgment. Who can stand, says the psalmist? Who can stand? The truth is what the triune God teaches us in His Word. He tells us who He is. How do we know who God is? Thankfully, He Himself comes to tell us. 
How do we know who we are? What is man? What are we? What is our purpose? Do we have one? Where did we come from? Why are we here and where are we going? Well, God will tell us if we will but read and hear his word. Amen. He tells us the truth about himself and about ourselves. He tells us the truth about sin. And he tells us the truth about salvation. Can a man really be saved? Can a man or woman really be right with God? Well, God comes to us and he tells us a glorious thing called the good news, the gospel. And he says, it's not good people that are saved, for there are none good. We say that a lot, don't we? We say, he's a good man. She's a good woman. And relatively speaking, in in human conversation at that level, relatively, we can say, well, he's a a good man. He's lawful. He's honest. If he tells you something, he'll do it. He's, he's kind. He's diligent in his, in his matters. He's a hard worker or so forth. In that sense, we call them good. But when it comes to salvation, there is none good. When it comes to being right with God, are there any good ones? There's none good but one, and that is God. And so if God is going to save, he cannot save any good people because there are none. He will save sinners. He came, he said, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, they that are whole need not a physician, but the sick need a physician. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. If a sheep goes astray, he goes out and he, and he finds it in the wilderness. Salvation, there's the truth about salvation and there's many lies, right? There's many lies about God. There's many lies about what is man. There's many lies about what sin is or isn't. There's many, there are many lies about the way of salvation. But the way of salvation, beloved, is, is very narrow. The Lord Jesus said as much. He said, enter in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to Destruction and many go in thereat because narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it. How narrow is it? It's this narrow right here. Jesus said, I am the way. It's that narrow. It's just as narrow as Jesus. If you try any other way, you're going to wind up in destruction. But it's just as narrow as Jesus, but he's just as wide as any sinner that'll come. And instead of complaining, why is the way so narrow? We ought to be saying, praise God, he's given us a sure way to know him. Praise God for a certain way that we can come back to the Father. It's through his own son. But what do we do in our pride? We sit back and say, yeah, but what about those that don't believe in Jesus? And what about the Muslims? And what about the Jews? And what about the heathen that have never heard of him? We judge God as if God has somehow not made it wide enough. And we reveal our arrogance and our foolish pride. We ought to be worshiping from our knees saying, Praise you, our God, for the gift of your Son whereby we can be brought home. There's many lies about salvation, but there is a truth about it. God tells us the truth. Just here in Proverbs 23, we're told the truth about riches, earthly riches. We're told the truth about rearing your children. Verses 13 and 14. We're told the truth about 
Not despising your mother when she's old and listening to your father's instructions. We're told the truth about drunkenness and lingering at the wine booth until it takes hold of you and stings you like a snake and enslaves you. We're told the truth about many things in God's Word. We're warned about strange women and evil men here in this chapter. There is such a thing as truth. Number two, the truth will cost you to get it. It will cost you to get it. It will cost you your ego. You will have to stop saying, I know everything. You have to say, I don't know. Please teach me. God does not teach the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He exalts them in due time. Humble yourselves under his mighty hand. It will cost you ego and status. You will have to come as a child. And to those he will give the commandments. He will teach. It will cost you to get the truth. It will cost you your popularity. We're in a wicked world over which Satan has given, been given dominion for a time. And he has led this world astray. The whole world lies in the wicked one, First John says. And if you're going to buy the truth and you're going to see the value and the necessity of laying hold of the truth, it will cost you popularity. You will be scorned by many people. You will be mocked. They will call you an enthusiast, a fanatic. You will be called a Bible thumper. You will be called a harsh, judgmental Christian. You'll be called a lot of things. It'll cost you some things. It'll cost you and require of you diligence. God will not teach the half-hearted and the slack. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 2 for a second. Proverbs 2. Oh, we want everything so easy. We want a, a button. We want an instant this and a quick that. And Here's how you get the truth. Proverbs 2. Verse 1, my son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou, thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge, liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. This is given to his son. He says, son, you must be teachable. You must stop talking and start listening. You must be attentive. You must be serious and wholehearted and diligent and studious and sincere, and earnest, and fervent. God has given great promises here. 
If you value his word as silver and as if it was hid treasure, and you cry out and you lift up your voice and you seek and search and incline your ear and listen to what he says, he will give you the truth. Do you want it? You got to want it. Can't steer a parked car and God will seldom teach half-hearted Christians or half-hearted professors. He would have us pant after him like a deer panting for the water. He would have us crave his word as a hungry man craves something to eat. Get it. Buy it. It will be costly. Moses gave up the treasures in Egypt, Hebrews 11. He forsook the treasures of Egypt. He forsook the crown of Egypt that he might walk with the people of God. For he, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Paul laid aside his Jewish privileges. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, zealous for the law. And he says, I take all that and I count it worthless that I may gain Christ. Paul laid aside his Jewish privilege and his honor as a true Jew, a true-born Jew. He laid that aside. It cost him that, that he might have the truth that is in Christ. Hebrews 10 says that the Hebrews took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. When they lost their goods in persecution, it says they got together and sang and praised God, for they remembered they've got a treasure that they could never lose. They've got something in heaven that cannot be spoiled and snatched from them. Revelation 12 speaks of the martyrs who love not their lives unto the death. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. It cost them their very lives. What will it cost us? What will it cost us today to get the truth and not ever relinquish, relinquish grip on it? Get it and don't forget it. Lay hold of it and don't ever slacken your grip. Buy it and never sell it. It'll cost us. Number three, it is so valuable that the cost is worth it. It is so valuable, whatever it may cost us. Whatever it may cost us. It is so valuable that once you get it, you'll never sell it. You look at that parable that the Lord Jesus told. There's a man... He's seeking pearls, and he finds at this one place, this one pearl that is, exceeds all other pearls, this pearl of great price. And it said he went and sold everything he had that he might get that one pearl. And we know who that pearl is, don't we? The Lord Jesus, who is the truth, who gives us himself, who brings us to the Father and gives us of his spirit, who makes to us exceeding great and precious Promises. What, what, are we going to gain the whole world and miss him? Let's lay aside the whole world if need be that we might know the sweetness of Christ both now and forever. There was another man who was digging in, in the field and he discovers a treasure in the field. And it says he went and sold everything he had that he might buy that field with that treasure. What will it cost us? Well, it'll be worth it, whatever it costs us.
Amen. We see in the Bible some people that sold the truth. Esau, he had the birthright. He was the firstborn. Came in from the field starving, hangry, desperate. And his deceiving brother, Jacob, is cooking something on the fire. And boy, it smells so good. And Esau says, hey, Bubba, give me some of that. It smells so good. He says, sell me your birthright and I'll give you some. He says, fine, I don't care. What good is my birthright if I die? He's so devalued and thought so lightly of the birthright. And there's more to it than just the inheritance of the material things. The, birth, the, the firstborn got a double portion of inheritance. And he was given the spiritual privilege of leading the clan, of leading the family, the family clan as the spiritual leader being the firstborn, but he so devalued that he was so flippant toward his, his birthright that he sold it for a bowl of beans, a mess of pottage. He let the truth go so easily. Judas, Judas, kissed Jesus and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. That is how much Jesus was worth to Judas price of a slave, the price of a gourd animal. He was worth nothing to Judas. Judas sells Jesus for coins that eventually he will wind up throwing down in the temple. And he says, I have sinned. I have betrayed innocent blood. Demas, Demas, Second Timothy says that Demas Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Demas is with Paul. They're going into regions unknown, taking the gospel as a pioneer into, into new areas. And Demas turns back. Paul says the reason is he loved this present world. He didn't have his eyes on the next world enough. He, he loved what he saw right now. Maybe it got too hard. Maybe it was too costly. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he was deprived of a good night's sleep. Maybe he had not material comforts around him. But something pulled him off the missionary team and it drug him back into the present arrangement. And Paul says he loved this present world and he forsook me. Beloved, we're not home yet, so we need to walk carefully. The feet... The ground beneath our feet is slippery and there's, there's traps laid. Watch and pray. Be careful. Stay close to Christ. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Stay in church. Because we look at Esau and we look at Judas and we look at Demas and we think of others that were once walking with the Lord and they fell right away and they slipped, they went back to the world. And we say, I'd never do that. Don't be so sure. Don't be proud. You think you're staying, take heed lest you fall. There are whole denominations today, the year 2020, and it's been this way for years. Entire denominations that have gone apostate, departed from the Word of God, and condoning and promoting and endorsing horrendous, wicked, evil things as the, as the so called church. Whole denominations. There are 
pastors, evangelists, missionaries, those that once stood strong for Christ, preached the word, planted churches, and now they're a shipwreck. They've went back. They betrayed Christ disastrously. They sold the truth. They had it. But something better came along. Something appeared to be more desirable than the truth, and they let their grip go on it. Now, in commercial terms, when you buy something, you're free to do whatever you want to with it. It's yours. So if you make an investment, you buy a piece of land, a car, whatever house, you're going to flip it. You know, you, you buy it, you're free to sell it, make a profit. That's how it works in our system. Or you buy something and it loses its shine to you. And you say, I'm just not happy with that anymore. I'm going to buy something else. You're free to do that, commercial terms. But what we're talking about, get it, whatever it may cost you, and never Never let go of it. Too much is at stake. Too much is at stake. Buy the truth and sell it not. I have seen things in my life, and I'm just a young man. Amen. Yeah. But in, just in my little few years of living... I've seen things that I would never have imagined. I would never have imagined that this would become a law or a policy or or this would go into practice in our country. I've seen churches. I've seen the so-called evangelical landscape, landscape, Christendom. I've seen things taught and written and promoted in the name of a Christian minister and a Christian message and a Christian venue that is unbelievable. What happened? Well, in the natural course of things, because of sin, because of the built-in principle of sin, things are unraveling. And one day God's going to bring in a new heaven, a new earth. And unless a church is diligent, unless a church is careful and zealous, we will, by just natural entropy, by the second law of spiritual thermodynamics, we'll just go down. Just kind of go down. Just lose the zip, lose the zeal, lose the fervor, lose the values. We will deteriorate and become Ichabod. The glory has departed. It'll happen to you individually and it'll happen to us if we do not get a hold of the truth and never sell it. May God help us. Let's stand. We thank you, Father, for your precious word that is truth. And for the author that believers are privileged to know in a personal, intimate relationship, the indwelling and leading and help of the Holy Spirit, the the author of Scripture. We have both a map and a guide. We have the written word and we have the indwelling spirit to show us what that word means and how to 
follow it. We are most blessed. I pray make us more grateful for our privileges. Make us more compassionate for one another and for especially those outside of Christ. May we see them as sheep with no shepherd and may we weep. May we be as you were, Lord Jesus. May we be moved with compassion for a world that has never been a lover of the truth and have never rightly valued your truth. Oh, protect our children. The world is... Lord, we can't even find words to describe what we see in our lifetime, what may be down the road in a few more years for our precious children and grandchildren. If you do not fortify them in their inner man, if you do not bring them to a right knowledge of yourself and then make them strong in spirit and strong in faith and strong in the word, they will be sucked right into this culture and think that it's progress. We pray for our, our dear, dear ones, our little ones, our little lambs. Please protect them. Give wisdom to mamas and daddies. And great influence to grandparents, great-grandparents that might have an inroad into the soul of their little one. That you might use us with a timely word, with a, a loving action that would somehow reflect something of the beauty of the Lord Jesus, who is the truth. Lord, come quickly. Come get us. We long for you. This world is such a disappointment, such a shadow, such a hollow thing. Only you can satisfy your people. We have foretastes. We have little tastes of heaven along the way before we get there. But, but Lord, it is you we want. We groan in this body. We see through a glass darkly. We have many troubles. Oh, Lord, thank you for your truth that sustains us while we wait that teaches us the right way and the wrong ways to avoid. Make us men and women and lovers of the truth, strong in the truth. May we speak the truth in love. May we walk in the truth. You said there's no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. In Second John, may we walk in the truth. Not just know it theoretically, but, but walk in it. Make us that kind of church. We care not to impress others or this world. May we be pleasing in your sight. We pray in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.